Hi everyone, just before we begin this podcast, I would like to mention our brilliant sponsor, ANL Goodbody. ANL Goodbody is a leading Irish corporate law firm and one which really recognizes the importance of their graduate recruitment program. They have recently been voted the most popular graduate employer in law for the 10th year in a row. If you are looking for the chance to develop your career in a supportive, innovative and collaborative environment, ANL Goodbody can provide this in a modern, exciting, diverse and friendly surrounding. And I would really recommend you check out their graduate recruitment opportunities. Welcome back everyone to the Grad Life podcast. My name is Shifra and today I'll be entering Kaveri Madhavan. Kaveri was born in India and moved to Ireland over 30 years ago. She's the author of three books, Paddy Indian, The Uncoupling and The Tainted, and writes opinion pieces for the Irish Times and wrote a Saturday column for the Evening Herald for seven years. She has also contributed to the Sunday Tribune, The Phoenix and Travel Extra. This is a really interesting podcast for anyone looking into getting into writing and career as an author. We will discuss how Kavari got into journalism and writing, the inspiration behind her writing and how her life experience have shaped her writing. So thank you so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to getting into it. Um, you seem to have had a really interesting life story. And so I kind of, the first thing I think I'd like to get into is where you got your love of writing from, and I suppose how you initially got into writing books. Thanks, Shifra. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you today, and uh, hopefully your listeners will get something out of it. Um, well, my, I, you know, to answer your question, my love of writing really came uh, from my love of reading, um, and and that was definitely one hundred percent nurtured by my parents. Um, you know. Uh, from literally from the moment I can remember anything I remember being bought books and being read books and and reading so um, yeah I, I would say my love of writing came out of the love of reading. Okay and do you remember any specific book that kind of I suppose accelerated this desire to write or is it kind of like a general a general love for reading? No, I, it was a general love for reading. And I, I'd say that, you know, the bulk of the reading I did as a child wasn't any different from what most children would have of my generation in India would have read. You know, we read, a, especially if you were reading in English, you know, we, we read a lot of Enid Blyton and a lot mm-hmm. of Nancy Drew and, uh, you know, a, a lot of sort of basically English books that were, you know, sort of, uh, how would I put it? You know that that came to us because of our our connection with with uh, with the UK and having been colonized by them. You know, so and then of course later on, you know, we, the publishing industry in India was also changing, and um, you know there was a, there was a lot of Indian writers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say though that my my parents gave us a, a fairly decent mix of books, so we we did read a lot of Indian mythology and Indian fables. Uh, there was a particular series called the Amar Chitra Katha, which would have been um, the equivalent of, you know, uh, Aesop's fables or you know something like that. And and they were they were they were really lovely. You know, for younger children, they included stories about um, animals, and there was there was always a, a parable to it. So yeah, yeah. So a bit of a mix. And can I ask, was it I suppose strange at the beginning reading English fiction? when maybe what you were going through at the time was so different, I suppose Indian culture and then English culture be very different. And did you find that strange at all? Or do you think that kind of influenced your writing in that at a very early age, you were exposed to different cultures? Um, 
No, didn't find it strange at all because I mean we we that's how it was and we never we never thought it was any anything different. So I, I guess you could say that you know we always sort of you you had this dream as a child oh I'm going to go to a boarding school and I'm going to have loads of adventures and you know things like that and uh, there was a lot of stuff when especially when when we were reading when I was reading uh, for example say Enid Blyton's famous five you know, this thing, this mysterious, mysterious thing called scones and jam. We just never knew what a scone was, you know, what it yeah. even looked like. Uh, so, yes, you know, so it was kind of a, a mix. And then, of course, you know, with side-by-side with -side reading, you know, Indian, Indian uh, fables and Indian mythology, uh, I think I got a really sort of a, a great, a great uh, mixture of both both, uh, you know, uh, purely Indian stuff as well as, um, you know, books that were coming from outside. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so I know you moved to Ireland over 30 years ago. And I suppose this in combination with other life experience you've had, how do you think that has shaped kind of, I suppose, your writing and the books you've written? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it, Chief, right, that coming to Ireland really did shape me as a reader as well as a writer. <laughs> Uh, because when I first came to Ireland, I, I didn't have a job. You know, I came as an ac accompanying spouse. Uh, my husband was a junior doctor and, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a, a working visa, so I couldn't work. So I, we didn't have children at that time. So, you know, I had time on my hands and I, I just kind of went wholeheartedly into, into reading, um, you know, Irish writers and uh, books about Ireland. So uh, that definitely shaped uh, shaped my writing. I, I just loved reading William Trevor and discovering John McGahan, um, you know, uh, oh, okay, Kate O'Brien, lots and lots of Irish writers. Um, and uh, there's absolutely no doubt that that shaped my, um, you know, that, that shaped my, my desire to write even. Yeah. And do you think that for anyone interested in getting into writing then, that it's important that, you know, not only they read, as you said, but that they I suppose travel because I suppose moving from India to Ireland shaped the way you write. So would you say that mm. travel and experiencing the world is important for anyone interested? Um, I, I wouldn't say so much travel, Shifra, but certainly reading because you know you you can do you can do a lot of armchair traveling reading, mm. um, and you know not everybody has the ability or the the money or the time to be able to travel. Uh, but I think and and you know the what I would say was almost like you, you cannot be a writer if you're not a reader. Uh, and so I, I would urge anybody who has any, uh, you know, any desire to write to, to, to be reading as well at the same time. Um, that's one thing. And the other thing I think that's really important other than, other than, other than reading and, and perhaps, you know, a little bit of traveling, as you're saying, uh, is, um, you know, the ability to observe. I think, you know, if you, if you are a good observer, you know, whether you're on a bus or, you know, in a group of friends or in a pub, I, I think the power of observation is something that you should cultivate. It's, it's, a, it's really, a, and if, you, if you're able to, you know, absorb stuff like that by osmosis, it's, it's such a gift. Mm. And so you've just kind of mentioned how important observing is and how reading is. So then could you tell me a bit about how both of these helped you when you began to write your first novel um, and then how I suppose as you so you've written three novels how the process differentiated or did it differentiate as you went on to write your second and then third novel 
or was there any difference? Absolutely. That's a fantastic question, Shifra. You know, it, it really did. So I, I think like a lot of uh, like a lot of writers, not all, but like a lot of writers, you know, there's a lot of yourself that goes into your into your first book, uh, you know, all, all your life experiences, um, you know, up to that point might filter into your first book. And certainly with mine, that was the case because, um, you know, my first book was called Paddy Indian and it was about the life of a uh, um, of a young Indian doctor who comes to Ireland and what happens to him, um, you know, he, he falls in love with an Irish, uh, with an Irish colleague, but it's not, it's not a love story because it's, it's actually a story of what happened between him and his mother because of him falling in love with an Irish girl. So, you know, so, I mean, I, I did draw a lot on our own experiences and, you know, looking at, um, looking at other friends who were, who were here, you know, Indian, Indian friends who were here as bachelors and, and seeing how, how they kind of, uh, you know, how they sort of negotiated the, the whole, uh, you know, getting to know girls and, you know, and sort of tying that up with, with the, their expectations from home. So yes, you know, my first book was certainly would have been, um, you know, sort of not, not auto, it wasn't an autobiography, but uh, definitely drew on our experiences. And then, you know, with the second book, I, I actually wrote just a book of pure fiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, my third book, then I actually returned back to Ireland in terms of, um, you know, the theme of the book. And the book is set, you know, half, half in Ireland, half in India. Uh, stretching between 1920 and 1980 and um, you know when I started my third book I was already you know 25 years living in Ireland and I really was able to you know use all the knowledge that I had uh, even you know the idiom that's you know the way people Irish people talk um, you know the, the the daily colloquial uh, way of speaking into the dialogue in the book um, and and of course then I had the advantage that you know because I'm from India I was I was sort of very easily able to write about any of the scenes that were set in India and so just kind of on that point I suppose I know I read a lot of books that authors who aren't necessarily from that country write about and yeah. you know you wouldn't be able to tell that they were weren't yeah. native um, and do you think I suppose your books then were set in Ireland and you've been here for so long do you think that's something that is really important that before you write about something and I suppose a country in particular you really get to know the ins and outs of it and its culture or do you think that that can be done by interviewing people or um do you think it's really important to spend some time in a place that you're going to base your novel in well you know if you're, if you're lucky enough uh, to be able to travel and live in a place that you're going to base your book on you know well and good but I tell you something, you know, it is possible, it is possible nowadays, uh, you know, to write Mm. about things that you actually haven't experienced yourself. Um, How do I put this? Because I mean, you know, it's such a minefield nowadays, you know, there's such a minefield of, um, you know, what is appropriation and, you know, cultural appropriation and what a writer is allowed to write and not allowed to write. But what I would say to you is that whatever you write will speak for itself. Mm. You know, if it's a whole lot of baloney, you know, nobody will read it. I mean, or, or, or you'll be found out. But, you know, if if you write a book that um, comes from, from a place of knowledge, regardless of how you got that knowledge, 
you know, that'll stand you in good stead. So I wouldn't be put off about, about uh, you know, not writing about things or places or people that you don't know about uh, because you can research it, you know. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's very solid advice because I think today probably people have a tendency to think that they do need to go to the places or experiencing experience something firsthand before they, I suppose, have the right to talk about it. Whereas that's probably not true and that words can really be molded and spoken by anyone who has a voice on the matter. And then, so I suppose leading on from that, I'm interested, I suppose, as to how you found your unique voice and how you, I suppose, discovered what it was that you wanted to write about um, and how you developed your voice as an author to really, I suppose, hone your authenticity as an author? Yeah, great question again. Uh, Shifra, I'll tell you, you know, I've, I have actually, I've written three books and I have, uh, you know, the plots for four books in, in my head already, you know, I'm writing my fourth book, but I know what my fifth one is going to be. And I do know what my sixth one is going to be as well, you know, um, and, and all the ideas actually just, you know, they, they didn't come to me lying in bed, you know, I heard, you know, I might have come across a story or read something in a paper or, or somebody might have said something to me. And just out of that, a, a small kernel of an idea, you know, a whole book can come out of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know I think I'm I suppose I've been lucky in a way that that stuff like that that I've come across and I've I've said oh my god that would be such a great story or or I might have dwelt on it for a while and then realized geez that that there's really a story in that you know so uh, and in terms of uh, you know finding your own voice I think you just have to be authentic you know Uh, and I know that that sounds a bit airy fairy but what I mean is um you know write the way you would naturally write without trying to be pretentious you know like every kind of genre takes skill you know it's not just literary writers who are skillful you know people are who are writing women's fiction uh, you know the holiday read that you read on a beach that takes just as much skill believe me as, as writing a book of literary fiction. So, you know, uh, at the moment I'm judging the Irish novel uh, fair for this year, uh, you know, run by the Irish Writer Center. And, uh, you know, I've, um, I think reading, I mean, on um, manuscript 96 of 140 of them. And I mean, I'm absolutely blown away by, you know, by the, the the whole creativity of people writing in different genres. And I wouldn't read, I wouldn't read those kind of books, but I'm having to read them because I'm, I'm a judge. Uh, and, it, you know, my eyes have opened even more. Uh, and I know now that, you know, whether you're writing science fiction, whether you're writing young adult fantasy, uh, you know, whether you're writing speculative fiction uh, or, you know, literary fiction or just, a, you know, or if you're writing contemporary, you know, women's fiction, every one of those takes skill. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I would say is that if you have a story in mind, don't, you don't have to, you know, say, oh my God, I have to be literary, you know, I, no, not at all. I mean, there's the skill in every kind of fiction. Um, and that, so just write what you think, you know, yeah. what you think you want to write is what I'd say. No, I think that's very useful advice and it kind of transverses not just across, I suppose, a career as a writer, but in general, you know, I feel like especially with writing, there must be a great degree of 
you know, you have to be self-confident in your work before you probably can send it off to a publisher or you have to have some belief in your work. Um, and I suppose, did you ever experience kind of a struggle with writer's block or being unsure as to whether the book you were writing when you sent it off, I suppose, was it good enough? Or did you ever go through challenges in relation to the books and the writing process itself? Constantly, Shifra. Every minute of the day when I'm writing, you're plagued with self-doubt, do you know? And it's only, um, I think the confident com confidence comes when you, not with the first draft, not sometimes even with the second draft, but, you know, when you have edited and honed, honed your book down, you know, after sort of, you know, several several drafts, you know, then you begin to feel a bit, you know, you begin to feel confident. Uh, so the, the initial writing is always full of, full of self-doubt. And I, I would definitely urge anybody who's writing not to be put off by that because, you know, writing is all about rewriting. You know, a good book is one that has been, you know, redrafted and honed and every sentence and every word looked at. Um, so, how, how would I put it? You know, just just know that every writer struggles with with confidence. And 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 I would disbelieve anybody who says that from the word go they're so supremely confident about their work. No, yeah, and I think that's very important for anyone who is interested in getting into writing because I suppose yeah, yeah. not that it can be lonely, but you're kind of there by yourself with your craft day in day out. Yeah. I suppose yeah. having belief in what you're writing is very important and um, yeah. you're right you know Shifra it is actually a very very lonely thing writing is such a lonely thing because to start off with you know most people don't want to show their work to anybody until they they think it's absolutely brilliant but you know there does come a point where you have to you have to share your work in order to get an opinion uh, mm. and, and I suppose that 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 point is different for everybody um, mm. but you're right you know it's, it is a lonely it's a lonely thing to do you know and I suppose that leads us quite nicely on to, I suppose, the next area um, which I wanted to discuss, which was, I suppose, journalism. And I know you consider yourself predominantly an author and an author of books, but I know you have had experience in journalism from, you know, the Irish Times. And then you wrote the Saturday column for the Evening Herald for seven years. And how does your experience or how did your experience differ between, I suppose, writing a book and then when you have to write an article because I know obviously a book could take years to write whereas an article yeah. obviously is a very high you have to have a high turnover um, yeah. Yeah. and what your experience of that was like yeah it, it's it, and the word high is actually really relevant to it because um, you know when you write when you write when you write opinion pieces or you write a column you it's that it's that little you know it's that little shot of it's like a drug nearly you know it's you get that affirmation, you know, to see your name in the paper, to see your byline, uh, and to see comments, and you know, to 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 have somebody random sort of send you an email saying, "Oh, I agree with agreed with you," or "I absolutely disagreed with you." You you know, you've, you've written shite, but um, that's that's like a little you know a little shot of a drug every every time you see your 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 name in the paper, uh, or you see your 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 work in in, in a paper, uh, and and a, with a book, of course, you know, you, it's such a long drawn out process. You know, it's a like it's a really long. You know, it could take years, and then and then you you never really know how it's going to be received. Um, so so you know th that's. 
that's one thing. The other thing, of course, is, you know, if, when, you, when you are, if you're dabbling in journalism, you have to be literally so well read on a daily basis. So for example, when I was writing the column for the Evening Herald, um, it was a Saturday column and I, my deadline was a Thursday. Okay, so I, I and I had an, a completely open brief so I could write anything about anything. Um, so my deadline was on a Thursday and I would literally spend from the previous Friday to Wednesday night reading every blooming newspaper in the world, mm -hmm. you know, to see what, what was in the news and what were people talking about and what would be worth writing an opinion piece about. Because, you know, in order to have an opinion, you have had to, you have had to read and see what was happening in the world for yes. you to form an opinion, you know. So it's hugely time consuming. I mean, you know, you, to write an 800 word piece, I would literally have spent hours mm -hmm. every day reading up to Wednesday night so that on Thursday I might actually start writing the piece. Yeah. You know, yeah. and sometimes you might, you might be in a panic because by Wednesday you haven't found anything interesting to make a comment on, you know, or, or that the whole world has already comment, comment, commented on it already, you know. So it, it's, quite a, it's quite intense if, uh, you know, if, you, if you're an opinion journalist or a features journalist, it's quite intense. You have to be really on top of everything. Um, you know, constantly in order to write an opinion. And I suppose today, more than ever, probably due since the election of Donald Trump and probably realistically even before that, you know, fake news is kind of a buzzword. Mm. Um, and I suppose just there you said how important and, and how I suppose, you know, tenuous the process is. You have to go through, read so much before you can even begin to form your opinion. Yeah. Um, and I suppose do you think that this rise of fake news not relates to that but that there's such a pressure on journalists to churn out work at such an intensity that sometimes you know facts get lost in the crossfire or you know sometimes they misspeak the truth or do you have any I suppose opinions on that topic itself um well let's you know I mean the the only opinion I, I would have is that, uh, I mean, is that, that you know, we, we have to be so wary of, of what we, when we read, you know, of, of the truth of it and, and where it, and, you know, what outlet it's coming from. And I don't think there's any, there's so few news outlets that don't have an agenda. Mm. You know, I mean, there's so few, few people who, like a, I, I, I mean, anybody who's writing an opinion piece has an agenda. So if I'm, for example, if I'm commenting, uh, you know, today, if I'm writing a piece um, today on, on what's happening, you know, for example, in India with the, the Hindu nationalist movement, uh, you know, I have an agenda because my, and my agenda is I want to show uh, that, you know, religious fundamentalism is taking India down the wrong path. You know, so, so everybody has an agenda. It's just seeing you know, whether that agenda is completely twisted mm. uh, and whether, whether, you know, uh, whether false facts are being used to further an agenda. Yeah. So uh, I guess, you know, when you're reading, if you want to be true uh, to yourself, you know, you just have to be very careful as to where you're getting your news from. Um, and, and that then again involves a lot of reading, you know. Uh, so like, for example, uh, you know, when I was 
when I was writing that column for the for the Evening Herald, uh, you know, I would read as much of Fox News as I was re- as I would read CNN. Mm. Yeah, you know, so you know, so you 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 didn't realize, my God, like there's such a massive difference in yeah. the way people see things. You know, you really need to uh, you need to be able to look at it from every point of view and then form your own opinion. I suppose. You know, I suppose. Yeah, and up until this point, I suppose your advice has been for writers, but I suppose that's probably the most important since maybe not everyone would consider themselves a writer, but you know, most people, whether they consider themselves or not, they are a reader in some form or another. Yeah. And I think that's probably very key today that you know you know have to know when you're reading that the person comes from one end or other of an argument or of an opinion, and that that invariably has shaped their life experience. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Yeah. so yeah, I think that's very important. Um, and then I suppose another thing which probably is increasing more and more these days is kind of news bites and how, especially maybe in the younger generation, the use of social media means they maybe read a sentence or two, which is taken in isolation from a larger news story um, yeah. and kind of the danger that poses, which I think is kind of an interesting question um, and one which probably is of increasing importance because so many people use Instagram these days. Um, and I suppose in relation to your writing and what you've written so far, can you comment on what dangers you think are associated with people reading kind of a nugget of something in isolation from the larger piece? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of a, a recent convert to Twitter because of my third book. Uh, you know, my, it was part of my publishing contract that I, I had to be on social media. I had actually didn't even have a Facebook page till then. You know, I kind of I was so anti-social media, and um, you know, I'm I'm on Twitter now, and I'm I'm extremely careful. I I I'm very very wary of being drawn into a discussion which I feel, you know, is not well served by the 240 characters. You know, I, I just feel, uh, and also I, I think, you know, when you're having a discussion, a heated discussion, if you're not able to, you know, see a person, you know, look a person in the eye, you can't actually see the nuances of what they're saying, you know, they're saying it aggressively, or they're just stating a fact. You know, sometimes if you read something on Twitter, you know, it, it might come out as so aggressive, but it might just be a comment, yeah. you know, and I do think, you know, uh, I... <laughs> I think social media is kind of probably the wrong place for for a lot of these discussions because they need to be more um, substantial. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, you, you need to have a substantial discussion, yeah. uh, not just you know one line comments that you know just go flip back and forth, back and forth, yeah. and then you know people take umbrage. So yeah. I'd be I'm very wary of. of yeah. um, you know, I mean, for me, Twitter is about my dogs and my cats and yeah. my, <laughs> my hobbies and, and my yeah. books, you know, and yeah. book Twitter actually is quite a safe place. Yeah. Uh, you know, book Twitter is, is a fairly safe place. You know, people aren't, um, you know, it, it's um, it's not that there's no agendas. Obviously, people are there to sell their books and, you know, promote their books and stuff like that. But I, I just feel, you know, the larger the larger topics that that trouble us today, you know, can't be discussed. Yeah. With you That's know on cool. social media, yeah. and, and yet they wouldn't be they wouldn't be talked about if they were not on social media. So it's it's kind of a bit of a 
a funny one, you know. Um, if you know no, what I, mean. I think yeah. definitely social media has been amazing in that, you know, maybe 20 years ago, if an earthquake happened in Haiti or if, you know, there was a war somewhere, I wouldn't hear yeah. about it maybe for weeks. Yeah. yeah. Now yeah. I hear about it, you know, 10 minutes after it happens. But at the same time, that does mean there's a dilution in the quality of what I'm hearing. Um, and what I'm hearing isn't necessarily the facts because it hasn't so, yeah. been taken in painstaking detail. Um, yeah. But no, that was that's been a very interesting discussion. And I think probably some of the most pertinent journalist and writing kind of issues at the moment. Um, before we finish up, I think if you had one piece of advice or one golden nugget to give to future writers or budding writers, what would it be? Just do it. Yeah. like the Nike I mean, don't don't postpone it you know if, if you if you think you if you think you have a story just to tell write it uh, and and if you decide to do that don't wait for the muse the muse won't come until you actually start writing you know the muse yeah. the muse appears only when you actually start writing yeah. so um you know and take it from me I'm, I'm a massive procrastinator so mm. uh, I and I know that for a fact Mm, you know, yeah the news, news won't come till you actually start writing so yeah. just do it I suppose that's very good advice in all aspects and I think we're all guilty of procrastinating and <laughs> and so I know people after listening to this might be very interested in reading your books so where will they be able to find them or where can they buy those books okay so um my books my latest book was called The Tainted and it's published uh, by Hope Road Publishing in the UK but it's available you know, on, on all, on all good, in, in all good bookshops. And can I just say to everybody listening, if you're buying books, please, please, my book or any book for that matter, please buy them at your local bookshop, you know, support local bookshops. They're, they're so, they're so invaluable. And if you don't support them, uh, they will disappear. Yeah. No, I think that's a very good note to leave the podcast on because I think supporting local in general is so important. But thank you so much, Kavari. This has been so interesting. I think we've managed to discuss everything from a writer's perspective to a reader's perspective and then to fake news and journalistic integrity. So I think we've left no stone unturned. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. Um, and thank you, Fred. Thank you.